0: The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is headed to mailboxes. Have you received yours yet? Celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. Lots of great articles in this issue. We're going to take a look at some of them, talk with the authors of the articles as well. Really helpful, insightful uh, tips and uh, bits on history, teaching for children. Lots of great stuff in this issue of The Lutheran Witness. I'm Eddie Bates. You're listening to Faith and Family. Thanks to our friends at Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting Faith and Family You'll find them on our website kfuo.org in the sponsor section. Look for CUW there. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, joining me by phone this morning, Katie Sherman. She is the author of Anthems of Zion series from Concordia Publishing House and How to Teach Children a Reformation Hymn in the October issue of the Lutheran Witness. Katie, welcome to Faith and Family.
1: I'm so happy to be with you, Andy. Thank you.
0: Always a pleasure to have you as my guest. We always have delightful conversations. One of the most cheerful people I get to talk with here on Faith and Family, and uh, I, I enjoyed your article in The Lutheran Witness this month.
1: Thank you. Well, the feeling is mutually, so you know. <laughs> you breed cheer, in others.
0: <laughs> How to teach children a Reformation hymn. And uh, you you address how to do this, you know, in Sunday school or at home as well. Tell me about your experience teaching Sunday school.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, presently, I teach what I like to call Sunday school music. And in our church, that looks like this. (laughs) Our preschoolers through fifth graders meet for a Sunday school opening in the Narthex, right near the piano. And we sing songs for about 15 minutes. And depending on the season of the church year, it changes what what music that we learn. Um, But we're always trying to answer, you know, St. Paul's call to us in our Christian life when he says that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, so we try to do that, and hymns, and we try to do that, and spiritual songs, and we try to do that with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And so that kind of is uh, what I think about when I'm programming music for our Sunday school children. And something that we have started this year, uh, we've been moving toward doing this for a while, but this is the year we finally implemented it. Um, We are now incorporating a Sunday school closing time for the older Sunday school children. So our sixth grade through high schoolers then meet for the final 15 minutes of Sunday school, and we do the exact same thing, just uh, we often program different music for um, the older Sunday school children, um, and it's not because the younger and the older children should or need to be singing different music, it just often has to do sometimes with um, you know, picking lyrics that might uh, be meaningful to the older children during those particular seasons of their lives. Or sometimes because since all of them can read, uh, we can actually learn music a little bit um, faster, or I should say we can learn more hymn stanzas more quickly, and so that kind of changes sometimes the pace of our music-making time.
0: So Sunday school, I mean, it's a a long-standing tradition among Christians, including Lutherans. How is, uh, from your perspective, how can Sunday school be a means of imparting truth to children?
1: Well... You know, I, I like to think of Sunday school as actually an extension of the home and the church. Uh, you know, primarily vocationally, the teaching of the faith to children is is given to parents. And I like to think that as a Sunday school music teacher, I'm just reinforcing hopefully what the parents are already doing at home. I know that's not always the case. Not every family has been um, taught how to have a musical culture in their home. And so one of the things that I like to do is I... I like to hope that I'm helping them by um, teaching children these songs to sing. They're going to take them home with them in their head and in their hearts, and they're going to sing them to their parents and to their grandparents, and their aunts and uncles, and their, their, their little missionaries through music. <laughs> and part of the reason that I think music is such an excellent vehicle for the word uh, is because um, music making, it uses both sides of the brain at once, uh, and when that happens, you know, that's establishing a, a pattern of brain development that, that sometimes is, is harder to establish through, through other means. And um, so music kind of makes the words come alive in a different way in their brain. Once we learn a song, it's very hard to forget it. <laughs> and when that song is paired with the Word of God or with solid doctrinal teaching um, that we know is a true confession of the faith, um, we are handing these children a precious heritage, a gift, a treasure that they get to keep their entire lives and hopefully will pass down to their own children someday. Um, So in teaching these treasures of the faith to children young, um, we're equipping them not only to share the faith with others, not only to meditate on the word themselves, you know, as they're just, you know, learning and memorizing things. But honestly, also, we're teaching them how to be music makers in their own home, and hopefully then that will be passed down to their own children. And so even if families are not naturally music-making families, by teaching Sunday school music, every child that walks in our church uh, gets to, to own <laughs> these treasures that we have and pass them down to other people.
0: Some might say that the hymns of which you speak that teach these great truths are too complex for children, especially for young children. How might you respond to that?
1: You know, it's funny. Maybe we should apply that philosophy to everything that we teach children then. You know, if in an entire gymnasium... If the only place the ball can go to make a point is through this tiny little hoop with a net on it (laughs) at the end of a gymnasium, why bother expecting children to try to make a basket? But we do, we spend hours and hours and days and years of our lives training children how to be coordinated enough, how to, you know, be spatially aware, how to condition their heart so they can run for a long time. We we don't bat an eye about investing years of our lives training children how to put that ball in that tiny little spot in the gymnasium. And so it's a little strange to me that we would take something like language. That they're learning already and assume that language would be too complex for them to learn because if you think about it why do we bother to teach children how to talk then (laughs) why do we bother to teach them how to um sit still why do we bother to teach them how to respect their elders i think a lot of those things are a whole lot harder to do than to memorize a hymn and here's why you know children's brains are sponges their job in life is to learn That's what they're good at. That's the best skill they have during the season of their life when they're young is they're good at learning. We know it's true because um, that's when they learn how to speak. That's when they learn languages. I mean, talk about complex. Sentence structure, that's complex. But they learn it so easily. It's we who are older that have a hard time. (laughs) Our brains are not quite so primed for it. So I think sometimes when we think that a hymn is too complex for children to learn, Actually, probably what's going on is maybe we're just a little too tired ourselves. Maybe we think it's complex and, and we just don't want to do the work of teaching it to children because I tell you what, if we teach it to them, they'll learn it. And they don't know that something is complex. We teach them that something is complex. And um, I also think it's helpful to realize that we, we don't approach education for our children as if we want them to stay at a base level. We always want them to be improving. And so I also think it's a little bit of um, a backwards idea when we think that we shouldn't teach children sentences and poetry and hymns and language that they can grow into. Um, An understanding of a vocabulary word is not a requirement for a child to learn it For the first time in school in fact that's why they learn it for the first time is so that they will gain an understanding of that word and the same is true for poetry or any of the arts Uh, we we teach children these these beautiful words put together um, so that they might learn to understand them i also think it's important to point out that how many of us as adults fully understand everything (laughs) we just don't even we need to learn challenging things, um, and we need to meditate on them. We need to ponder them. That's just part of our life, you know, that meditatio, you know. It's part of what we do in the church is we, we think on hard things. And I think what a gift it is to our children when we start with them young and, and train them how to do that, not to be afraid of that, but um, but, to, uh, but to strive to learn something they don't already know. But... Here's what I think actually is the truth about this, Andy. I think there are very few hymns that are actually so complex that children can't understand them at the age where they're at. Um, Maybe sometimes the language might be what we would call archaic, You know, sometimes we might be using pronouns that we don't normally use in our conversation today. Sometimes they add an ETH to the end of a verb. (laughs) (laughs) And that might mask it and make it look old world a little bit, but that doesn't change the meaning. And boy, children, all all you need to do is answer their question, and they know it. (laughs) So actually, I would challenge parents and say, the poetry of the hymns are not too complex. In fact, it being poetry, it being lines that rhyme, means the children are going to be able to learn it that much faster and that's one of the reasons i advocate for learning hymns is i actually think they're quite easy for children i you know we we ask them to memorize the catechism we ask them to memorize scripture and those things don't rhyme and they're often not set to music think how easier it is for a child to memorize something where they have those anchors of rhyming (laughs) words at the ends of lines and when it's set to a jaunty tune Boy, they're going to learn it so fast.
0: <laughs> so meter, tune, and rhyming, uh, rhyme can aid us in that process of learning, the, uh, particularly the, the truths of God's Word.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about how that nurtures our faith, but maybe just for the benefit of parents who are concerned about their children's education, first I'd like to address the fact that by doing this, by, like you said, by setting words to meter, to rhythm, to melody, to harmony, um, we, when we teach children music, we're actually teaching them a skill that is crucial to language development in general. Um, we're also teaching them a, a culture, our Lutheran culture. We're putting tones, we're putting tunes in their head that they will own, that they'll recognize for the rest of their life. We're, we're creating a fertile field of nostalgia for them. <laughs> when we invest in our children by teaching them our music when they are young, they will love it their entire life. And loving it doesn't necessarily mean liking it. It means they're going to own it. They're going to recognize it. They're going to have certain feelings associated with it. And that, that's, a, that's something precious we can hand down to our children. Also, another thing that we've learned through science, you know, the study of music, is that music can provide tools that are essential for problem-solving later in life. This has to do with the brain development that I was talking about. Music fosters emotional bonding between people, between parent and child, between teacher and student, between pastor and sheep. And also music, and I love this, really builds self-esteem in children. Again, they don't know that they should be embarrassed when they sing. We condition them to feel that way later on in life. <laughs> I do know that some children when they first come to my Sunday school opening, you know they might be uh a little bit alarmed because they're not used to singing at home, and it can be a scary thing for a child to. Um, have all this sound world come at them. They're just not used to it. Or maybe they're not used to having a teacher who sings and looks them in the eye at the same time. That can be an intimidating experience. But one of the things that I love is that the more often they come, the more used to that they get to this culture of music making, the more they forget how, um, you know, the the less sensory aware they are of, (laughs) of, of the situation. I just adore the moment when they just can't help but join in and sing because they're confident of their environment, they're confident of the content, that's part of the teaching, and they're confident in themselves. They know how to take part in that music-making, and I love teaching them that. And this music, this Lutheran hymnody, can be a link for them to understanding the rest of the congregation. It puts their culture in context. Um, they start to understand that, oh, when I'm with these people, we sing these songs. We all know these songs. That's, That's who we are. And so when choosing songs to teach our Sunday school children, I do tend to teach the hymns that are in our hymnal because I want them to know our culture. I want them to be able to identify who they are in that culture. I want them to recognize their brothers and sisters in Christ. I want them to be familiar with the music in their church service. I want them to know it so well that they join in because they're a part of our church community. and, And if I spend most of my time teaching them songs that we don't actually sing in our church service, if you think about it, I'm conditioning them not to recognize their church music. I'm conditioning them maybe to have nostalgic feelings about songs that aren't in our church body. And you could almost say, maybe I'm teaching them to join another church someday. So I take it very seriously, this teaching our children the songs of our faith.
0: What are some of those favorite Reformation hymns that uh, you enjoy teaching children, enjoy seeing them learn, hearing them learn those hymns?
1: Where do I start,
0: Andy? <laughs> I just want to, I, I want to have a couple in mind as we go through. In, in a little bit, we're going to work through some of the practical tips that you've offered in sure. your article. And I, I'd like to have a couple of, you know, one or two hymns in mind as we think about these practical tips.
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, when I'm picking a hymn, and if I'm, if I'm going to be singing with young children that I think are not used to singing in their home, I am going to try to make it as easy as possible for them. And one way I do that is I, I pick a hymn tune, that, was a, that is usually within a good singing range for them, which um, kind of could be from D to A. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. I love teaching children hymns that go very high. Silent Night is like that. <laughs> it gets very high, and boy, it's so fun for them to learn how to just float their voices up high <laughs> on that song. Um, but one thing that I, that I look for is I look for an accessible melody. And by accessible, I don't mean easy. I just mean um, are these notes that they're that their um, larynx you know can actually produce comfortably because i want them to sing often and to there will be a lot of repetition uh the next thing that i look for is in the text is there a refrain um like sometimes the hymn drawn to the cross not sometimes <laughs> the hymn drawn to the cross ends with um the line that repeats christ crucified i come that can be an anchor you're teaching. If there's a line that repeats, mm-hmm. uh, because young children they'll learn that line very quickly, and they'll always be able to join in and sing it at any time. And uh, if there are multiple stanzas, that as we're learning those over time, I can have the older children sing those stanzas because they can read, and then the younger children join in on the refrain. Also, there are some hymns we have that are set to tunes that can be sung as a round. And rounds are good ways a uh, good way to introduce part singing to children. Um, basically just by setting the melody off by a few beats, they are creating harmony for each other just by knowing the melody. And so those are some things that I look for in hymns. Uh, but when it comes to Reformation hymns, I really think that a home-run hymn is <laughs> Martin Luther's Lord, Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word, and Here's Why. It's relatively short. I... It, um, you know, it's, it's not a long melody. It has a very kind of folk sound to it, the melody. Um, it also has a bit of a minor sound to it, which I think is very fun for children, especially around this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are only three stanzas. And again, children, they don't know that it's hard to memorize a lot of stanzas, and stanzas are verses of, of the hymn um so they're not really intimidated by learning a lot of words we are intimidated and sometimes we communicate that to the children by how we teach them but the nice thing about three stanzas is they're going to learn it very quickly the other thing that's nice is it's a trinitarian hymn three stanzas three persons in the trinity the first stanza really kind of introduces to the work of god the father the second stanza to the work of god the son and the third one to god the holy spirit and I find that to be a, um, a great way to reinforce one of the mysteries <laughs> in our theology, which is the Trinity. Um, and what I have done with uh, Lord Keep Us Steadfast in Your Word is first, I taught them a little, our Sunday school children, a little tiny section of the Athanasian Creed. I taught them the part that goes, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet we throw our fingers out in front of us. And yet, <laughs> there are not three gods, and we hold up three fingers, but one god. And um, I actually have a friend, uh, Deaconess Heidi Sias, she taught me the sign language for that portion of the Athanasian Creed, and so we actually sign the words as we're speaking them. And then I use, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word to reinforce um, the Trinity, because um, it uses vibrant, pictorial, adventurous language to talk about our God. And it's also a hymn that is a prayer, whether the children sing it in church or whether they sing it at home. It's, It's a text that will shape their prayer life. That's what Luther, I believe, intended it for, was actually a prayer for children. And I also know that it's a familiar hymn to our church culture, so I'm expecting these children to be able to hear this hymn in church several times throughout the year. And that is a blessing for children to be able to recognize the music in their church. And whether they can read or not, they're going to be able to join along.
0: You mentioned using actions and and sign language to uh, to help reinforce the the words that you're teaching in the hymn. How is that How is that helpful? What does that do? Using actions or signs?
1: Well, movement uh, we know stimulates the inner ear and the brain. Um, I also think movement burns energy. <laughs> <laughs> And some children just a little bit more rambunctious than others. Some really appreciate feeling the music through their fingers and toes, not mm-hmm. just in their heart and in their head and on their tongue. <laughs> so I use movement for a few reasons. One is I do find, especially when I am initially teaching a text, um, pairing the words with a movement uh, helps the children remember them. Uh, so that if I'm teaching them a text afresh... I know that we're going to be able to learn it in just a couple of minutes because by pairing it with the movement, um, it's uh, it's just you know creating neuron connections in their brain. Uh, the other reason is that it just helps some children who who've been sitting through church for an hour, <laughs> and just benefit from a little bit of movement. Um, it gives uh, direction to their energy. <laughs> But I'm especially thinking of my non readers when I'm using actions. Mm-hmm. In fact, honestly, Andy, there comes a point where we kind of stop doing the actions because they're not necessary anymore. They're kind of a a tool for learning a hymn. They're not necessarily mandatory for continually singing a hymn. I do think it's different if we learn the sign language. Sign language is uh, singing in another language. (laughs) And so if we learn something in sign language, I do try to maintain the sign language every time that we sing that song um, for the benefit of our neighbor. But primarily I use action as a teaching tool in the beginning and a way of keeping the attention of our littles who cannot read yet.
0: What about those who are reading, uh, sometimes with uh, in, with hymnals, what's the first thing we do when we try to sing with a hymnal, especially when we're learning something new?
1: We bury our head in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I love hymnals. I love our LSB. It is a heavy book, though. <laughs> and um, something... Something else I'm trying to address with children in Sunday school music is not just teaching them the music, but teaching them how to make good music, how to make a healthy sound with their voices. And so I'm very aware of children's posture. I'm very aware of, um, you know, tension in their shoulders if their chin is pointed down. These are all things that can constrict the muscles around the larynx, which um, strain the voice. So, uh, again, I'm trying to raise the children in a culture of singing, and that means uh, good technique as well. And one way that I handle that or take care of that is I actually don't have the children hold the hymnal when they learn the hymn. I think the hymnal is very helpful in the church service, and oftentimes for those, for those littles, their parents will be holding the hymnal for them. Um, but when learning a hymn in Sunday school music, I have them stand up straight and i i have keep their chins from pointing down by having them look up at me and one way i do that is i write the text out on song boards And probably it's a bit of nostalgia for myself you know I can't help but think of my old vacation Bible school days with song boards and handwritten lettering and you know bright colored markers but you know our children in this generation are so used to looking at screens that I just I try to take every opportunity I can not to use a screen when I'm teaching and so one way I do that is if I want to everybody in the room to be able to read a text i write the lyrics on a big song board and i have a helper hold it for me so that the children can stand tall shoulders back and down they can take deep breaths and they're just looking straight out and their larynx is relaxed Um, and because again since i have children who don't read sometimes i will substitute uh, pictures for words on those song boards for example the first stanza of lord keep us steadfast in your word uh, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. I'll draw a Bible instead of write the word word. You know, mm-hmm. curb those who buy deceit or sword. I'll draw a sword instead of write the word sword. <laughs> Again, those songboards aren't going to be necessary for very long.
0: <laughs> so using your uh, your visual artistic skills as well to, uh, <laughs> to draw those images. What about, uh, you know, the... Um, the concept of what if you you can't play the piano or an instrument or don't have a accompaniment and that, that may frighten you or deter you from singing hymns with your family or with your Sunday school?
1: I would say that's fine because the best model for singing is the voice, not the piano, not the organ, not the guitar, not the French horn. These are all blessings and instruments that can be used. Um, in our worship services or, you know, in teaching as well. But the best model for singing is the human voice. So I actually think it's better if you don't have an instrument modeling the music for the children. Instead, sing. Model it with your own voice. Again, their brains are little sponges, so give them the most information possible in each second. If you want children to learn how to sing a hymn, then singing it to them is going to be the quickest most efficient way uh, to teach them how you want to sing it, because you can model the volume, the dynamic. You can model the articulation, you know, the text. You can model the tone. You can model the posture. All of, all of those things you're doing are, are little bits of stimulation that children are taking in, and they will imitate you. And so I actually find, again, the quickest, most efficient way to teach singing is to sing. To the children myself and I do it acapella which means without accompaniment and I don't always do it acapella I'm blessed that I have a wonderful pianist who plays um for our our littles when we meet for Sunday school opening and I have a high school youth who plays the piano for us for our Sunday school closing and boy I utilize them but if I'm teaching a hymn for the first time I do a call and response teaching I sing the line acapella Again, I'm giving them the most information possible all at once, and then they sing it back to me. It also enables me to really listen to them and give them feedback. Um, it also enables me to look children in the eye, and, and that's very helpful, again, to some of our children who are more rambunctious. And it also, um, it's, it's, again, it's that bond. It's that, that music creates a bond between people. And then I use instruments the same way Bach did. <laughs> whenever Bach wants, whenever J.S. Bach wants um, a piece to sound more festive, he adds more instruments into it. So it's kind of a Baroque technique of terrace dynamics. they will just add more instruments on a phrase or on a particular song. So that's what I do. That's how we celebrate when we have the lines down in a hymn. We'll have the piano join us. <laughs> and then maybe we'll get out some percussion instruments.
0: <laughs> and, and that makes it all the more uh, unique, um, all the more special, as you talked about earlier. There are some, there's nostalgia, there are memories attached to that as well. I want to go back to uh, a topic, repetition, frequency, uh, repeating a hymn or repeating a stanza uh, over and over. You said that, you know, the call and response as well. it seems that sometimes repetition or, or learning things by rote has, been, has gotten a bad rep in, uh, in our culture or in our society today. Uh, but uh, I think you've referenced it a few times here. Repetition is, is helpful, is important in learning these hymns.
1: It is, and I think maybe it comes from a misunderstanding, again, of what children are good at. Remember, um, children are very good at learning and I'm not going to say that that's uh, easy for every child. Um, and I'm not going to say it's easy for every parent or every adult because it's work for us to sit and teach through repetition. <laughs> I think sometimes it's that we don't want to do that because <laughs> that's boring. But the thing is, is um, it's not enough to hear something once often. <laughs> not, not many of us have photographic memories, you know. Uh so we, we repeat something until we have it memorized. And the thing is, is that children's brains are very good at that. And not only are they good at that, but they're going to retain it. And so if we put in the work, if we put in the effort, and I don't even like to use those words because let's be honest, Andy, is it really work <laughs> to repeat a line over and over again? No, there are much harder things to do in life. But in doing that, they learn it. And they'll retain it by continually uh, repeating it at Mm home and i i do find that we um when families uh, make the effort to sing with their children they're naturally getting repetition in the car they're getting repetition um after the table with the or after eating at the table uh with family devotions or nighttime devotions there's there are natural times to build in this repetition um I know there's a small homeschool co-op that I um, am part of, Um, I kind of help direct their uh, choices of music and and, and teach some things for them to work on at home. And one way that I, I encourage those families to teach hymn stanzas to their children is to pick one hymn a month, and if there are four stanzas in that hymn, well, you, the first week you're singing the first stanza, and you just sing that with your, you know, your evening devotions every night. Um, I know one family I just talked to said they they use that hymn during compline each night when they sing together hmm. in their home. And then the second week you continue to sing stanza one, but you add in stanza two, and then third and fourth week, and so on. And and the beauty of that pace is that's not fast at all. You're getting seven days. <laughs> On a new stanza every week, and the father and mother have an opportunity uh, to teach uh, what the language means. What what does the image uh, call to mind in our in our head? What does it teach us about the faith? And so, the hymns themselves become kind of. Uh, a centerpiece of the devotion because it can there's so much to talk about.
0: <laughs> a- anyone who has ever sat down with a child to read a children's book knows that children do not despise repetition because as soon as you get to the last page it's uh, daddy read it again. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. it, children don't despise repetition, especially if it uh, quickly becomes something they like or they enjoy. We only have about just a, uh, under a minute left, but I want to uh, go back to one point that you made earlier, and that was um, using creeds or a part of the creed uh, in your teaching. Uh, there are certainly benefits to choral reading or speaking of the creed as well, with just about 30 seconds on that.
1: Sure. Because, (laughs) you know what, why not teach them the truth about the nature of God? Hmm. Why not give them language um, so that if somebody asks them who God is, they can explain it right away. I think maybe we're afraid to use formal language, and by formal language I mean creedal language. Um, Sometimes it goes in and out of fashion to be able to confess your faith corporately. For some reason we don't like that. But for children, um, we do that all the time. Their Pledge of Allegiance is a corporate, you know, confession um, in school. Uh, So are our prayers. So are our creeds. And again, by teaching it to them young, they'll own it their entire life and think about what they're owning. Mm -hmm. They're owning words about who our Lord is and what he has done for
0: them. And carry it with them. Katie Shurman, author of Anthems of Zion series from Concordia Publishing House and How to Teach Children a Reformation Hymn in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Katie, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for being my guest today.
1: I so enjoy our time together. Thank
0: you, Andy. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline.